Uh, Father, many of us are probably thinking uh, we are so busy today. Uh, please help us. But please help us to be busy knowing and living out the right things and therefore what will ultimately matter in the end. In Jesus' name, amen. As Dan said, the book of Zechariah might be uh, very strange. It might be very hard uh, to find in a Bible. <laughs> but his message is not very strange. And uh, we will be so used to finding it uh, that it will become second nature <laughs> in some week's time. Now, what we're looking at today following Dan's excellent uh, sermon last Sunday on the first six verses is known as vision number one. Uh, there are eight in total, and God willing, we'll probably spend a sermon uh, looking at each of them. Yes, there are eight visions uh, in this book. And that only takes us up to chapter 6 of 14. <laughs> uh, we will, in the weeks ahead, God willing, consider what to do with the remaining chapters, won't we, Dan? <laughs> now, whether they are best seen as eight separate visions uh, or one vision in eight parts, uh, we are meant to understand they, all, they are all part of one visionary experience and they are therefore all deeply connected to one another. Uh, it must have been quite a night for Zechariah, uh, requiring more than one cup of coffee the following morning to just get going. <laughs> and if he's married, I wonder what his wife must have felt about it all. Get to, get to bed, honey. <laughs> it might have been her cry. But these aren't simply just a dream or a vision. They are collectively called much more than that. Yes, much more. Uh, they are called in verse 7, the word of the Lord. Yes, the word of the Lord. God was speaking to Zechariah in a very special way through these eight visions. And so special are they that they also speak to us today, as we shall see. They are the word of the Lord. Now, the first thing I want uh, to mention about this vision is fairly obvious, but so obvious that it might be overlooked in how God's people responded back then and also overlooked in how we respond today. If anything, I sometimes hear myself saying things today that might even go against this point, <laughs> go against the very word of the Lord here. And the first point the obvious point is this, the Lord knows what's going on. You know, sometimes I think about things and act in a way that does not acknowledge what he is like. He knows everything. And so I need to remind myself of that. The Lord knows what's going on. Now, that can be scary or that can be comforting. But he does know. It's an obvious point, but I think it's very clearly portrayed in this particular vision involving horses. The Lord knows. See what I mean? Uh, please look at the first verses of this vision, say verses 7 to 11. We're on page 1443 and 1444 in our provided Bibles. Uh, but these verses are also in your bulletin. Verse 7. Verse 7 says this. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, 
that is some three months after what happened in the first few verses. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edu. And he records for us in verse 8, During the night I had a, and there's that word, vision. And there before me was a man mounted on a horse, on a red horse. So if you like horses, this is certainly your book. <laughs> this man was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? Now, the angel who was talking with me answered, they're horses. <laughs> I don't think Zechariah was into horses. Um, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we, I therefore think the other horses might also have had riders, have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. You know, when I uh, read verses like these, verses that explain some kind of a vision, I realise yet again that there is much more going on in this world than I sometimes realise. For example, there certainly is a spiritual battle going on. As flesh and blood, as people, we're not even aware of this sort of stuff unless one is told like we are told here. Yes, the Lord knows what's going on in the world. He might use horses and riders in this vision, but I think it's actually to let us know what's going on. It is a vision he has provided after all. So after the 70 years of exile, that is punishment from the Lord. Yes, he does chasten and discipline those he loves, Hebrews 12.6. And no doubt a new generation of people returning from Babylon to Jerusalem, finding it now a mammoth task to rebuild the place, let alone being opposed by people mocking them. Compare the prayer in Daniel 9. The Lord not only knows what happened in the exile, those delivering his punishment on his people went way too far some say almost destroying the Jewish race, let alone mocking, let alone the mocking they are now receiving. But he also knows that the whole earth is at what? Rest and peace. That's right. And now we also know this, and that includes not only those who read this book, but also the angel of the Lord. Zechariah, and at least the writers. Yes, the whole earth is at rest and in peace. Now, that would be nice, wouldn't it? The whole world being at rest and in peace. That's what people want, don't they? World peace. Well, heads up, there's a problem here. You see, God doesn't 
want world peace. And certainly at the expense of his people being sidelined and him being completely forgotten. The nations should have been thinking that we're now sidelining God's people by mocking them and should have been thinking about God, but instead the world is enjoying a siesta without him and totally blind to all of this. But the Lord knows and, surprise, he even allows it. And he is very angry, not just with his own people not listening to him and therefore experiencing 70 years of exile, but other people living like there's no consequences. One just does what one wants to do sort of thing and enjoying the peace and rest that comes from such unaccountability. But what about God? What about the Lord Almighty? What about the peace, real peace, that comes from knowing him? And for us today, knowing him through his son, Jesus. Yes, what about that accountability? What about that anger, his anger, against all who are descended from Adam and Eve, all who would prefer to not be accountable. And so do not turn to his son, Jesus. Yes, it's no different today uh, in the West and in, and in his church, but our Lord knows it all. I suppose we need to ask ourselves, I do, <laughs> uh, as to what the life of NHA uh, Northern Hope Anglican. Uh, what in the life of NHA does he want us to know that he too knows? I suppose we also need to ask ourselves individually as to what we're going through at the moment and to at least remind ourselves that he, he knows it all. Uh, the second point flows on from that. If the Lord knows what's going on to his pe- with his people, and he does know, what does he do about it? Like, does he just fold his arms and say, well, you deserved it? Is he that hard? Or does he just not answer one's prayers of concern? Is he that distant? Is he that uncompassionate? Is he impotent? That is, cannot help us even though he wants to? Well, let's read on as it becomes obvious. Verse 12. Uh, Then the angel of the Lord said, I would add to the Lord, Our Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, basically your people? which you have been angry with these 70 years. Verse 13, the Lord refused to answer. (laughs) No. So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. 
And then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. So I would say, and it's the second point, the Lord therefore speaks comforting words to his people. Yes, the Lord therefore speaks comforting words to his people. That's how the Lord responds to his people and their predicament. Even though they had been unfaithful to him and deserved to be thrown out of Jerusalem, and they were for 70 years, he comforts them with kind words now and with promised blessings. Yes, he kept his word in exiling them, and they were brought to rubble. But yes, he will also keep his word in exalting them out of the rubble. He has chosen them. He has covenanted with them. And he now, in this first vision, says he will stick with them. And did you notice that comfort to them is fueled, we are told, by what? His jealousy. Yes, jealousy, verse 14, for Jerusalem and Zion. No doubt that jealousy for his church today. After all, he is a jealous God. Exodus 5.20, Deuteronomy 5.9, 1 Corinthians 10.22. One dares not mess with his church today. Either through false teaching inside it or through opposition outside it. Because messing with his church, his people, is similar to messing with him. As it's his church, his people. And he will certainly do something one day. He's not impotent. He's not uncompassionate. He's not that hard. He's not that distant. Yes, he will do something one day and especially so if one messes with him and continues to do so. You can count on that. Yes, God might have been very angry, and he was, verse 15, but he is also very jealous, verse 14. The final point is this, and it affects us all. It is people everywhere have now been put on notice. People everywhere have now been put on notice. Now, this isn't directly mentioned in these verses, but obviously flows from them. Ultimately, what troubled the angel of the Lord in this vision was not so much the rest, or I would say unrest, of the world, but its complacency and smugness, its indifference, 
Now, it's fair to say that there are many wrongs today that still remain unrighted. Is that a word? (laughs) There are foreign powers that still rule over Jerusalem and its people. God's promised judgment of the nations have certainly not happened yet. People continue to disregard the kingship of our Lord and do so with impunity. But the good news of this vision is that this will not always be so. The patrols have come back. God is fully aware of things. He knows it all and intends to fulfill the words he has spoken, just as he eventually did in the time of Noah. Also, just as he eventually did in the time of the exile. Friends, it's important to realise that the future judgment of the world is a reality and therefore good news for the people of God, for Christians. For this all means that oppression, cruelty, can't meet here, (laughs) stuff, and injustice will not prevail. Will not prevail in the end. And why? Because God has set a day when he will finally judge the world with justice by the man who's raised from the dead. Acts 17.31 Yes, the final proof of God's intention to judge this world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 from our, our New Testament reading today. And that is why I said that people everywhere have been put on notice. So... Have you received his mercy shown in Jesus? Have you received his comforting words shown ultimately in the incarnate word? Or is God still angry with you? Very angry. Because it's only in Jesus that such anger, such wrath can be removed. And that is what he says, John 3.36. Yes, God is a jealous God. And that means that he and his church, his kingdom to come, will will prevail. So we must not mess with him. Amen and amen. Thank you. Thanks, Dan.